Welcome to the Man Cave Podcast. I'm Dan Casper, and this is a podcast where we talk mostly sports, but hey, we'll talk about whatever else is on our minds. Outdoors, hobbies, movies, all the fun stuff. So sit back, grab a beverage, pull up a chair, and join me in the Man Cave for this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Casper, as always. Appreciate you uh, tuning in to to the new episode of the Man Cave Podcast. And if you are a regular listener, appreciate you coming back. New time. New time listener. Hopefully we can uh, get you to to stay aboard. You know what I mean? So off last week, a little vacay. I'd say uh, it's good to be back, but then I'd be lying because... Well, whoever really wants to come back from vacation, right? You know what I mean? So, uh, what do we got on the docket, though, here for, for this episode of the of the pod? Kind of just throwing out a bunch of different stuff at you. Talk a little St. Andrews. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the best sports urban legends because, I, you know me, I'm a big documentary dude. I love a good documentary, whether it's true crime or sports or history or anything like that. And it got me thinking, too, about, because uh, I just watched uh, the new D.B. Cooper one on Netflix, and it got me wondering about some of the best sports urban legends out there. And there's some good ones out there, too. So, got that. Uh, just kind of have a little fun with, like, some uh, sports all-time, sports movie all-time athletes and and uh, that good stuff there, too. But I want to start off the, the pod here with, um, you know, I know it's a little bit old, but since this is the first pod since I've been back from vacation, I wanted to talk a little bit about it. That uh, the semifinalist for the contributor and like coaches category for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and there's two uh, two people on that list that I'm really excited to see a semifinalist. I don't know if what their chances will be like to to become a finalist to become. Uh, uh, members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but they're Lee Remmel and Jack Venisi from uh, from the Packers. Lee Remmel is, I mean, long time covered the Packers as a writer. Then he ended up uh, working for the Packers PR and ended up becoming uh, the, like the the spokesman and uh, team historian for the Packers. And the press room over at Lambeau Field is is named after him. I mean, Lee Remmel is such an iconic figure in Packers history uh, just iconic throughout so many different generations I mean covered Don Hudson and Lambeau and Lombardi was there with Favre I mean the the amount of football in the in the teams that he was able to to witness when he was alive and and a part of the Packers organization it's just awesome in the history that you know we talk about like historic franchises and we know the Packers are one of the most iconic and historic franchises in all of in all of sports and Lee Remmel was a big big factor in all of that I know it's like well he was a writer and PR and spokesman and all that but you know I'm a believer that one of the criterias to to be in a to be in a Hall of Fame is can you write the history of that sport, that team, whatever it may be. Can you write the history with without that person? And I don't think you can write the history of the Packers without 
Lee Remmel. You know what I mean? Like, and that's saying a lot because you, when you think about the Packers, you think about the coaches, the iconic coaches, Lombardi, Lambeau. You think about the players. I mean, goodness gracious, Star, uh, Hudson, Favre, White, Rodgers. But Lee Remmel is a huge figure in, in Packers history. Just huge. And the other person that I don't think a lot of Packers fans know or especially a lot of football fans know is Jack Venisi. And, you know, going back to the thing where I said, can you write the history with this person not a part of it? And with Jack Venisi, no, you literally can't because without Jack Venisi, there's a good chance there was no Vince Lombardi. And there's a good chance that those players that Lombardi had would not be in Green Bay. Jack Venisi was a uh, director of personnel, a scout, and, and, and all that. But Lombardi himself said that he would not have considered the Packers' job if it wasn't for Jack Venisi. And Venisi was, had a hand in drafting Bart Starr, Jerry Kramer, Forrest Gregg, Paul Horning. You know, the, the list of iconic Packer players that were instrumental into, you know, those Lombardi legacy Packers and those championships and, you know, their Hall of Famers. Jack Venisi died in his early 30s. And, you know, a lot of people don't, I don't think, know a whole lot about him or know anything about him. And he is such a crucial figure in Packers history. So I'm glad to see him get recognized. This. I, I, I think he absolutely deserves to get in. Uh, to the Pro Football Hall of Fame because of what he meant. He's what he's probably the biggest unsung hero, in my opinion, in, in Packers franchise history because of what he was able to do in such a short amount of time. Now, he got his start in the early 20s. And like we said, he passed away in his early 30s. But again, bringing Lombardi, being instrumental in bringing Lombardi uh, over to Green Bay, those players that Lombardi had, you can easily make the case, no Jack Venisi, none of those exist. And who knows what the future of the Packers would have been You, if you want to look at a bigger picture. So I just hope that I would love to see Green Bay, uh, you know, like the Packers organization franchise, do a little bit more to honor Jack Venisi because I think he absolutely deserves it. You know, you didn't have the title as general manager. You know, Lombardi had that. But his role within Green Bay was just as important, just as crucial for that franchise. Maybe that's something I got to do. Maybe that'll be my next project, kind of doing a, a background thing on Jack Venisi because I think he absolutely deserves a, a, a lot more credit and a lot more uh, attention for, for the jobs that he has done. And, you know, to, to kind of wrap it up here for, for this segment, I think uh, another person amongst Packers franchise history that – Deserves some more recognition and hopefully in, in the future will from like the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And and I know I feel like Packers fans do give him his the the respect that he should get and and the credit that he should get, but maybe it could be a little bit more. It's Bob Harlan, former team president for the Packers. I mean, again, kinda like Venisi, if it wasn't for Harlan, there's no Ron Wolf, there's no Mike Holmgren, there's no Reggie White, there's no Brett Favre. It's that it's that trickle down effect. You know, when we talk about the resurrection of the Packers in the 90s, it, it's like the foursome of Ron Wolf, Mike Holmgren, Brett Favre, and Reggie White that get the most attention and the most credit. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
But it all started with Bob Harlan. It all started with Bob Harlan getting the job as president, hiring Ron Wolf, and giving him full control of football operations. And it trickled down from there. So to me, Bob Harlan should start to get some recognition for what he meant to the Packers franchise and his role in it. Because again, you can't tell the whole story of the Packers franchise without Bob Harlan. And it's more than that. It's, you know, the fundraising and, and you know, kind of, I think he set up Mark Murphy very, very well to like, you know, kick off with Titletown and this, that, and the other thing. So Bob Harlan is another guy that I think deserves uh, some more recognition and hopefully he will in the, uh, in the near future. So, but uh, so that's my opening statements, if you will. So uh, that's my opening statements uh, for the for the podcast. But let's take a quick break, and then coming up next, uh, I want to talk a little bit about sports urban legends. I love, I would love to be a detective. I want to figure stuff out. I would love to like solve a case. And I wish there was like a sports version of like DB Cooper or something like that. And and maybe there is, and I just can't think of it. But. Uh, I want to talk about some of the more popular or the better known sports legends or urban legends out there. That's coming up after this quick break. All right, let's uh, let's get this thing rolling. So the other day, yesterday, I was binge watching this new documentary that dropped on on Netflix. I'm a big nerd when it comes to like. A good documentary, right? Whether it's a sports one, true crime, myths, legends, it don't matter. I get sucked into it. I get sucked into it. And there was a new one that dropped yesterday about uh, D.B. Cooper. Anybody that don't know who D.B. Cooper is, it's uh, what from the 70s. He hijacked a plane, got 200K, then jumped out of the plane. And nobody has figured out who the man is. What happened to him? They found some of the money washed up on a shore bank. But they've got no idea who this person is. Never been found. There's been theories left and right of who it is. You know, internet investigators have tried to figure this out. They've got their quote-unquote suspects and that. And I always thought that'd be cool to figure out something like that. I'd love to be like an investigator I remember I took a test. Remember those tests in school, like seventh grade, sixth grade, eighth grade? He was telling you what you should like, what you're, what, what you're going to be, or what you should be when you grow up. One of them, I'm not even kidding. One of them was a secret agent. Although I couldn't do that. I'd like to think I could. I know I couldn't do it though. But I'd love to be like figuring out mysteries and, and all that sort of stuff. But anyways, when I was watching, I binge watched the whole thing. It was really good. You guys want to check it out if you're into that stuff. But I was like, what would be like a would be like a, a sports edition of some like urban legends or the best sports urban legends, mysteries, conspiracy theories, whatever, however we want to phrase this. Okay. So there's some good ones out there. There were some that, you know, I was looking them up and I'm like, kind of forgot about, kind of forgot about them. One of them that you probably won't find a lot on like the top 25 or top 10 list that people have have uh, put out there, but it, it's a Packers one, okay? Now, there was an article written, was it, it's been a few years, I don't know if it's been 10 years, but it's it's been a few years, about 
Rockwood Lodge in Green Bay with, with the Packers. Now, if you don't know what Rockwood Lodge is, okay, so, oh, it's 2020? It was in 2020, it looks like it was. Oh, Jesus, it's only been a couple years old. I thought it was longer than this. But anyways, Rockwood Lodge was this kind of like uh, Curly Lambeau bought this lodge in this area for the Packers and their players to essentially have their training camps. Okay, uh, it was kind of a, it was a place for the players and 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 their families to go as a training facility that was used by the Packers from 1946 to 1950. Kind of a retreat and 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 all that. But so before that the Packers had their training camp up in Rylander, Wisconsin at Pinewood Lodge it was called. But Curly Lambeau wanted to develop a training facility where his players and their families could live together for for the entire season. In comes Rockwood Lodge. So in 1946, he convinced the Packers Board of Directors to purchase Rockwood Lodge. Now, the Lodge, if you've kind of heard like some of the practice stuff and some of the stories, it wasn't the greatest place for practice. I mean, the ground was apparently like really hard and players, um, you know, had injuries on it. And, you know, players really took a beating on that on those practice fields. And so it cost a lot of money. It, it cost the Packers a lot of money to to purchase this. And we know, if you know your Packers history, there's been times where the Packers have gone through some financial troubles. Well, 1950. 1950, the Lodge caught on fire. Uh, it was empty except for the caretaker and his family. Now, the family was unharmed and that, but the building was completely burned down, except for some of you know, the stone stuff, like a, like chimneys and, and, and that. But the, the conspiracy or the, the myth or the legend surrounding this is that was the lodge deliberately set on fire for insurance money? The cause of the fire was... From what I was was looking up again to kind of refresh my memory yesterday, was never really figured out, but they just kind of figured faulty wiring or, or a lightning strike was suspected. But because of the Packers' financial issues and the lack of a clear cause for, for the fire, there was this speculation, this rumor, this myth or or legend that started that that they start the fire on purpose to collect the insurance money and to, you know, get get out of their financial woes. And these rumors were brought back up again by this ESPN article from I guess just a couple years ago. But you know, I remember reading it, thinking, "Oh, that's you know." And, and if you know a little bit about Curly Lambeau and his past, and and some of the stuff, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, that that probably wouldn't be too far off of what uh, what Curly Lambeau would do." But I talked to Cliff Crystal about this. I've asked him about this. He's the Packers team historian, 
And he shot it down right away. He's like, no, 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 no. That didn't happen. No. Shot it down right away. And he kind of took, he, he made some shots to, to ESPN and, and that article, too. So he completely shot it down and said, no, that that did not happen. It wasn't set on, on, on purpose or anything like that. But those rumors are out there that you know the Packers set that on fire. So that was that's one of them that kind of I thought of right away in a, in a more of a I guess local sense. Big time sports, urban legends and that. Rockwood Lodge, Green Bay, Packers. I feel like a lot of maybe even some Packers fans didn't realize that they had like a training camp facility, a lodge 46 to 50. I think a few years ago they just they kind of did some like uh archaeology stuff over there too. Because it's like a it's like a park, I believe. Now I haven't seen it in person, but I think it's like now a park in that. But yeah, and I remember reading a story too. Like I think it was a caretaker's family. They had they were able. To, they had some of the stuff. Like they had a Don Hudson jersey and all that. I'm like, dang it, Don Hudson jersey. I'm jealous right there. But anyway, some of the other bigger ones out there. So I've got a list, and you know Michael Jordan's like he's on here a few times. The the mystery that surrounds MJ, his airness. You got a couple of them out there. The big one is probably the one that's really kind of sparked up in conversation in the last few years, ten years or so, has been you know his time off that one year that he took off from from basketball, where he went to go play baseball. Was that a wink, wink, handshake agreement that you know it was because it was gambling issues that? He was going to be suspended for a year, but because the NBA, David Stearns, didn't want to, you know, suspend their best player for a year. So instead of, you know, having that kind of attention, Jordan, quote, retired, went to play baseball for a year, then came back. You know, there's there's that one. That one's always been out there. There's, you know, I know Stearns, when he was when he was still alive, David Stern was, was still alive. He said, nope. Uh, not true in that, and Jordan downplayed it in that, but it's still out there. It's it's still out there. And then the other one with with Jordan, that's kind of really maybe sparked up a little bit more since the last dance documentary, has been the the flu game. Now, there's been people, was it really the flu? Was it food poisoning? Was it the pizza? I just saw something again the other day where it, you know, there's there's theories. People are floating out there for all this stuff, and I think a big reason why is because, well, the age of the internet and social media and Twitter and Facebook, we can all look up stuff and we can all come to our own theories and and hypotheses and and try to figure out, you know, try to solve mysteries. I like doing that. I'll be honest with you. But that that's that's another one that was kind of floating around out there about these last few years and it really spiked up again about uh when the last dance documentary hit up so jordan's been there been around there for for a couple times uh the other one one of the more popular ones it's it's kind of sports related based uh but it's not really you know involving a an athlete or or a game it's a location it's the jimmy hoffa Legend that his his body is buried at Giants Stadium. Jimmy Hoffa, if you know, back in you know, the 
Teamsters. Was he murdered and buried beneath the, the surface of Giants Stadium? That one's been out there. That one's still out there. Uh, so that's that's a popular one there, too. The one that I di- I'll be honest with you, I didn't know a whole lot about. And we actually have the poster of this up in the studio, but it's the uh, Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston fight. And there is an urban legend, and I, this one kept popping up. And, again, I, I didn't hear about this one, but it was, you, you know, that iconic image where Muhammad Ali is standing over Sonny Liston. You know, we all have that. That's the poster we have in the radio studio here. But uh, the punch that, I was reading a little bit, the punch that knocked Liston out has become known as the, quote, phantom punch. Because it definitely wasn't enough to knock out a pro boxer, according to some people out there. And some people believe that Liston owed the mafia money. So he bet against himself, and he took a dive. That one's kind of been out there a little. And I honestly, I did not know about that one. I did not know about that one. Another popular one out there has been Babe Ruth. Did he actually call a shot? This one might be the... Most well-known one. I mean, how many of us, when we were kids, whether whether it was in the backyard or, heck, maybe we even had the courage to do it in a Little League game or something like that, but how many of us playing in the backyard, playing on a sandlot with our friends, did we call our shot? I mean, heck, Jake Taylor even did it in Major League for crying out loud. But I, we all did it at some point, whether we were a kid, right, just goofing around. We all called our shot. And it, it sparked from from this. Babe Ruth called shot for a fifth inning pitch in Game Three of the 1932 World Series. Babe Ruth pointed his bat at center field bleachers to declare that he would hit it there. And the next pitch, he did. That's been up to. Did he? Did that actually happen? Did it not happen? Over the years, has it just kind of ballooned into something? Far greater than what actually happened. And given the time period, we don't have a lot of film and, and photos and, and accounts to kind of confirm a lot of that stuff. That's how these legends and these urban myths kind of just balloon and, and create themselves and get larger and even more, you know, awesome to read about or listen to. And sticking with baseball, this is one that I found out about a year ago, and I had no idea. It was in a podcast. And honestly, I haven't finished the podcast, and I should. But it involved Cal Ripken Jr. It involved Cal Ripken Jr. and his consecutive game streak. And I had never heard about this, but apparently it was a thing. I mean, maybe it might have been more so in, in Baltimore and that. But I had not heard about this until this podcast came out. And then, you know, when I was kind of refreshing my memory last night on some of this, it, it popped up again. But the rumor is there was a game in 1997 that was that was called off because, or, you know, delayed, I should say, to, to the next day because there was issues with lighting in the stadium. And this was going during Cal's streak. I believe it was the Mariners they were playing. But the rumor is, is that the lights were purposely, you know, like altered or cut or, you know, not working, quote unquote, because Cal 
had punched Kevin Costner, so his hand was a little, you know, banged up and, and all that sort of stuff. Why did he punch Kevin Costner? Apparently he caught Kevin Costner in bed with his wife. That's that's the rumor. And so the rumor is then that it just sparked in after that is that the, the Baltimore Royals you know, had a power outage to keep Ripken's streak going. You know, there's I've seen boatload of things now too. Like, was he actually arrested? Was he in custody? Was his hand, you know, bruised up or he couldn't swing a bat? I don't know. But that one has just kind of gone all over the place too. And listening to that podcast and 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 reading some of the stuff out there, it's like, holy cow, that I'd never heard about that one. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of baseball ones. There's one out there, too. I remember shortly after the Kurt Schilling bloody sock. Was it actually bloody or not? You know, it was that performance with the Red Sox, and we can all picture the bloody sock, right? But then there's some people that have doubted it and asked, well, was that actually a you know bloody sock? Was it a bloody sock or not? I, you know, I, I think they've got that sock displayed somewhere, don't they? They've got it displayed somewhere. I'm sure they could easily do the do the DNA testing if they wanted to. Uh, another one that, and speaking of baseball, was did Bud Selig know about Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire's steroid use in 1998? Did did Bud Selig know about it? Kind of kept it hush hush because we all know that you know did that help spark back baseball and and get interest back in baseball and yeah. That that's been a popular one, and I've seen the the Wade Boggs one too. Where did he drown sixty four cans of beer on a cross country plane trip? I mean, Wade Boggs, that guy has been. There's that one, that urban legend. You know, he's got he's superstitious. Where the guy has like chicken before every before every game. Yeah, he, he's kind of he's involved in a couple of other ones out there. And you know, there's there's other ones, but I tried to you know come up with my list on here the the ones that um, kind of were repeated, the the bigger ones out there. You got like the Madden curse. I think that's kind of dumbed down just a little bit. Or it's gotten quiet a little bit, but for the longest time, I mean, there was there was the Madden curse. There's the Sports Illustrated cover curse that people talk about. I think that's kind of again. It's quieted down a little bit, but you look at that Madden one, and during a time, you could say, like, well, Michael Vick, Marshall Falk, Dante Culpepper. It's like, ooh, yeah, don't go on there. So SI had the cover jinx a little bit, too. But, yeah, there's there's some good ones out there. But I think my two personal favorites are the Rockwood Lodge one, even though Cliff has said, no, 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 it's no. Still intrigued with that one just because it might be it's, it's, it's like a, it's a Green Bay one. In fact, I mean, there's some great ones about Johnny Blood. I know we, you know, I've mentioned him before, but there's some great urban legends about Johnny Blood McNally. If you want to look it up, and you know, maybe one of these days we'll kind of deep dive into that. But there are some great ones about him jumping on a train and you know, hitching it to, to practice, uh, scaling a, a hotel wall. Uh, and there's some ones about Lambo. Curly Lambo back in the day. I mean, it sounds like the 40s were just, 30s, 40s were just nuts. I mean, when you factor in some of those great Packer stories and then you factor in some of the baseball talk out there, I mean, it just seems like it was it was, it was, was nuts and just kind of a free-for-all. 
So you got those. Those are my favorite ones. But uh, you know, I think the I keep going back to to the Hoffa one. Like you would think they would have. I don't know. Did I? I don't think they would have found. I don't, who knows? Who knows? But it's definitely one of the greatest uh, urban legends in all of sports. If I missed any, just hit me up, okay? I'm sure I did. But if you have a favorite, though, too, hit me up. So I saw this question posted uh, the other day. I think it was on CBS Sports' Twitter account. And I thought it was just kind of like one of those uh, random fun questions that you see once in a while on social media and and all that. But uh, it asked, like, what or who is your favorite fictional athlete so like talking about tv shows and and talking about movies and and all that good stuff but who is your favorite or who is the best fictional athlete uh so i've got my top five okay i've got my top five and you can play along you can hit me up on twitter or facebook and tell me i'm wrong or give me your uh give me your um you know your 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 picks if you want but number one i think is is it's it's easy it's so simple it's Rocky. I mean, come on. They got a statue of him. I mean, come on. You, this is the – I think, uh, you know, some people might even believe that he's like a, a real boxer and all that. I mean, come on. Everybody everybody knows who Rocky is. Everybody's been motivated by a Rocky movie or a song from Rocky. Yeah, the Tiger or, or a training montage. I mean, the man you know, ended the Cold War with Russia for crying out loud. So to me, the number one is it, it's easy. It's so simple. It's Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa is the best – sports fictional athlete of all time no no debating it none none whatsoever so the real debate then comes from spots two through five two through five um and this is i I did a little bit of movement here but i really went with a lot of uh well there's there's one actor that's twice on here and there's a couple of baseball ones in here too but uh number two to me was crash davis bull durham kevin costner's character in that movie i mean when you think about like when i look at this and i think about this question i think okay you know the iconic characters in in sports movies right the iconic characters there so i went with crash davis at number two bull durham number three i went with another kevin costner pick roy mcavoy from tin cup golf movie over there again an iconic sports movie figure number four i went now you could pick a couple of different actually you might be able to pick uh, a few different characters actors from this movie but i went to major league and i went with jake taylor now you could do uh charlie sheen's character and and rick vaughn You, you could easily do that but for you got to pick somebody from Major League. Heck, if you even wanted to go with Bob Euchre's character in that movie, I guess you, you technically could too. But I went with Jake Taylor. I went with Jake Taylor, the catcher, the aging catcher in, in Major League. That was my pick there. But, again, you can make the case for for a lot of different ones out there too. And then the fifth one actually, I mean, was a little bit more difficult for me because there's so many uh, there's so many actors or actresses and, and, and sports fictional athletes out there that you can choose from but um i went with my favorite football movie or i should say one of my favorite football movies and i went with varsity blues i went with jonathan moxon the mox you know 
James Vanderbeek, and I know nobody else is probably going to pick that, or or that's going to be a weird one. But I just I love the movie Varsity Blues, um, so I that that was my pick for for number five. So again, my top five favorite fictional athletes, whether it's in a TV show or or a movie. I think Rocky is the clear cut number one. There's no debate about it. Uh, you know, you just can't can't debate. I mean, Rocky is the best fictional athlete of all time. Then it's up and open for debate after that. So I went with Crash Davis and Roy McAvoy, two Kevin Costner characters. Uh, at number two and number three, number four, I went with Jake Taylor. But again, if uh, you know if you want to put Rick Vaughn on there, I'm not I'm not arguing with you one bit. Not arguing with you one bit. I just or or Dorn Roger Dorn or or Bob Uecker's character or Serrano. I mean, the list goes on and on. That movie is full of characters. I went with Jake Taylor, and then. The little bit of a wild card pick, I guess you could call it. I went with uh, the Mox, Jonathan Moxon from Varsity Blues, quarterback over there too. So, uh, but those are my picks right there. And uh, I'll tell you what, we'll take a quick break, and then I want to talk a little bit about uh, St. Andrews, the Open that's going on right now. And I have a bigger appreciation for St. Andrews now than what I did before. I'll explain that coming up next. Quick closing statements to wrap up this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. So while I'm recording this, the Open is going on right now at St. Andrews and uh, Tiger doubling uh, his first hole right now. But, you know, I, I've always heard about St. Andrews. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a golf fan and knew about the history and all that. But I think there's just a, a bigger appreciation from my from my point of view about St. Andrews. For You know, this is – I learned a little bit more about the uh, – about the course's history, I learned some more stories. I mean, I found out that there's apparently like bodies and bones buried under the 18th green because of like a cholera pit. You know, you hear that stories like that, and just more about the history and the makeover. And we know it's the birthplace uh, of golf, and a little bit more history of the town itself. So, you know, we always have like these bucket list items or these bucket list locations that we want to go to, right? And for golf, for me, it's always been. Augusta National, the Masters. I want to go there. Heck, I would just love to go to Augusta National. Like, I'm a big, you know, like I said, golfer, but I was always a big Bobby Jones fan, too, like learning the history there. So that's always easily on my list. But I think St. Andrews, I've always just kind of overlooked it. So, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool in that. No, I think that, I think now St. Andrews has 100%, 100% moved up into my top five for bucket list locations, bucket list places that I want to go check out, that I want to go visit. It doesn't have to be for a tournament. I don't have to go play golf on the course. I mean, that would be freaking awesome. Let's let's be real here. But I just I want to go check out St. Andrews based off the history. I'm a history nut. I'm a history nerd. You all know that. Hearing more about the course and the history about St. Andrews this week really liked, gave me a, even a bigger appreciation, which is kind of hard to say and, and maybe kind of weird to say given the the history that has surrounded that tournament and and especially that course throughout throughout history but i don't know maybe it was just uh you know on my part where i was ignorant to some of the stories or just didn't pay attention or or you know i knew about the basic stuff i knew about you know the birthplace of golf and and the history to some of the some of the players over there but it just this i think this week they've done a fantastic job of really kind of showcasing and, and telling more stories and highlighting the course and the history and the city and, and all that sort of stuff. So, yes, the, the the St. Andrews has now moved into my top five of, like, 
must go to. It might even be my top three. Top three um, bucket list locations to go to. It's there with Augusta National, uh, St. Andrews. Uh, the other ones I'd probably put on there. Again, like I'm more of a history one. So when I look across like the NFL and, and football, there really isn't a whole lot of other historical venues. Like I would have loved to have seen uh, the the Polo Grounds or or you know going back to to old Yankee Stadium. But I would like to see Fenway Park. You know I want to go to those older historical locations, the locations, the stadiums, the places that have you know historical meaning to it. That that's those would be the locations on my bucket list for for like sports venues to check out so that's going to do it for this episode of the man cave podcast appreciate you guys uh tuning in until next time you know don't forget tell your friends tell your family to check out the the man cave podcast subscribe for free follow share it on social media all that good stuff we'll talk with you next time Hey everyone, Dan again. Before I let you go, I just wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. If you could do me a favor though and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and give it a five-star rating, that would be awesome. Don't worry, it's free to subscribe. And make sure you're following me on Twitter at Dan Casper. Remember, that's Casper with a K. And liking the page at Facebook at facebook.com slash Casper Sports. See you next time in the Man Cave.